I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat in 3, our weekly food news roundup. Fall is finally here, so it's time to get funky and devote an episode to some of our favorite spunky microbes. Fungi just provide this beautiful, whimsical lens on how the world works. They have so many roles. They're this strange and magical-seeming group of organisms, but they've got it all figured out. Should you eat the cheese rind? Can you eat the rind? These are like the biggest questions. We'll answer all of your questions about mysterious mushrooms and crazy curds. Plus, we'll give you a sneak listen to the newest season of Modernist Breadcrumbs. So tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Heritage Foods, an online and wholesale distributor of heritage breed meat and poultry. Learn more at heritagefoods.com. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. Wow. And today, I hope every single one of them is listening to this episode of Tech Bites, the weekly show where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And I say this every single time. We have a really great show. (laughs) And I say it every single time, but I really mean it. Each and every time. Today we're going to talk about aquaponics, and we know that it's great for the environment, but we're going to find out if it's great on the plate and if it tastes good. To do that, we have a couple guests in studio with us today. We have Jason Green, who is the co-founder and CEO of Brooklyn-based Edenworks, which is an aquaponics company. Jason, thank you for coming. You're a couple blocks away. I can't believe it's taken us three years to get you on the show. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of uh, yeah. me ghosting on some emails. Yeah, but exactly. <laughs> well, you're, you're here, and that's what's important. Yeah, thanks for having and me. And joining us as our seafood chef focus group of one, <laughs> Bill Telepan, who is the chef of Oceana Restaurant in New York City, longtime sustainable guy. Guy. Right? Right, yeah. Fish expert, sustainable fish expert. Almost a fish expert. I'm Almost. getting there. You're getting there? I've been there a little over two years now. So, I mean, the volume of fish we go through, it's the education has been pretty quick. So, But you've been a chef for decades in New York, and you've always been interested in local and sustainable yeah. and organic and all that good stuff. Yeah. And um, so for many, but most of my menus have been sort of more vegetable, meat focused, and a little fish. Actually, there's a point. One when I had telepen where, you know, the there was all this talk about fish mercury in the fish and prices of fish was going too high and you know you know just the sustainability of fish I was like you know what maybe I should just get rid of seafood, except I had a smoked trout dish that everyone loved and a lobster bolognese dish that everyone loved. <laughs> <laughs> so and then I was introduced to a couple interesting people like the Doctor Dish program and um, so I f- through a lot of people you find you know you learn about it. But now it's the education has been pretty, you know, pretty intense. Thorough, intense, yeah. focused. Focused. Well, before we get to aquaponics, Edenworks, fish, we're going to start the show like we always do 
which is we go around the shipping container and we talk about apps. And those are not the precursor to a meal, snacky little food things, appetizers, but apps that live on your smartphone, maybe something new that you just discovered that you love, or maybe something that's been living on your home screen for 10 years, because it's been 10 years. Oh, my God. Yeah. You go first, Jason. (laughs) And Jason, the only rule is you cannot talk about an app that you own, designed, or invest in. Got it. Which is a no which is a critical yeah. which is a critical point for the tech founders. Yeah, because people are usually serial entrepreneurs and have their hand in more than one tech company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I love Airtable. Uh, Airtable is a combination of like spreadsheet forms and also you can do kind of drag and drop stuff that is almost like coding. Uh, and it's just super functional. So if you want to like quickly build a workflow, I love Airtable. It's uh, it's I mean I love Google Sheets and, and like use Google Sheets and Google Calendar and all that. And Airtable's like one up on top of all of that for custom workflows. It's super it's super cool. So custom workflows does that mean it's a paid app or is it a free app or is it free but then incremental add-ons for functionality or? Yeah, so it's a, it's a freemium model. You can start off for free. Um, we use it for recruiting, for example, at Edenworks. So we'll build a form. That form will get embedded in our job postings. Um, all, we'll then collect all of that. We can comment on candidates and build, um, build like a, a ranked list and turn that into a task for another colleague. Um, and all of that is free. And then if you want to do more advanced stuff, if you want to layer code on top of that, um, if you want to build certain uh, certain premium features into it, then there are paid options. But you can do a ton of stuff for, for free. Uh, and it's it's like 10 minutes to build an app. I built an app for my wife and I were looking for a new apartment. Uh, and in about 10 minutes, I built an app where I could uh, grab the information on the listing, take a picture of the property when we're there, uh, add comments. Get All it, on your it. phone. All, so I did. I built Out it on. This app. Uh, yeah, I built it on my laptop just because it was faster to be able to use a mouse. Uh, but then there's. But then it, it's automatically mobile native. Uh, and so then we went to these apartments, and I'm taking pictures and uh, in like ten minutes to build. To That's build pretty awesome. App. Yeah. Do you come with the app? Do I come with the app? Do you come with the app? I don't. Okay. Uh, but because uh, it but sounds that's, like for that's... me to get maximum efficiency out of it, I need you. That's a premium feature. <laughs> premium feature. So, I'm looking at Bill Talapan, who's. I'm, I'm going to call you. Phone. I'm going to say you're an analog guy. Yeah, and I, we were well, we were we were talking just before the show. He was he was he put me a little bit on blast because he hasn't been on the show yet, and I'm like, but it's a tech show. And as soon as Jason <laughs> said Airtable, did you think? The game? Did you think air hockey? I was singing air hockey. Yeah, like yes, I was like, I, knew it. I went I looking at my phone to find it because I don't have it, and I get a long subway ride. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sick of t- solitaire already. Um, no Candy Crush. Yeah, you know, I, I, I got, I had to get rid of a lot. I mean, it's just too much, it's too much going on. <laughs> so. Apps. apps. I mean, like, I don't. Not appetizer. Right. Um, you know, I think the one I, since I do a lot of running around the city, even though I work in one restaurant, but I do a lot because of um, the school work I do with Wellness in the Schools. And, and now I'm working at the Institute of Culinary Education. I use City Mapper a okay. lot. Okay. Which will tell me, like, what time, you know, it's a good way to get, you know, time without using Google Maps, but 
I like to use the subway because it's the best way to get around. And then I go right to the solitaire. All right, which I'm pretty <laughs> awesome at. The pre, the one that's preloaded. Yeah, on your I mean, phone. I'm not. A, I'm not. I tr- I don't know all that stuff. In fact, the other day I had to write a kid a letter to you know a letter recommendation for college, and and I'm sitting there and I'm writing it, and he wrote it. You know, he did it, and then I fixed it up, and then I added my signature, and, and it you know went indented, and I didn't know how to get it over. So I had to call my wife. I said, I wrote to my wife. I said, can you help me with this? And so she just fixed it and sent it to me. Yeah, I'm terrible with, I'm not terrible with computers. I have all my recipes on there. I have, you know, I have, I have a really intent. I know how to, a really huge, you know, imagine for the last 20 years, I've been just logging stuff on there. So I know how to use that. And so I put everything on Dropbox. And so it lives there because Google, um, Docs is kind of like, you know, I don't really get it yet. You right. know, I mean, I do use it, but now everything's all over the place. So I, I just sort Too of many things. throw everything on Dropbox right. and, and then I could find it. And so it's cool. So I'll be at home and I want to cook something. I'm like, oh, what's that recipe I have? You go to the Dropbox. I go to the Dropbox, it comes up. You know, there's an app for that. You can put it on your phone. What? Dropbox. I have that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I guess Dropbox is kind of cool. Yeah. Okay. All right, are you are you ready for this? Bill is on I'm, the cloud. Yeah. No, I'm not even on the cloud. Well, I that's, refuse that's to go on the cloud. Dropbox that's is in the cloud. That's a cloud, but I don't have like I'm not on the 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 cloud. Like I don't have anything. You are. You just don't realize. I probably am. You like are. I was thinking about this. Like you know, like City Bike because I have the key and I'm on. I have that app and that's cool too. I know how to use that well because it tells you where to park it and all that, right? And I'm like, but I refuse to log in because I'm like, I don't want no one, want them to know where I am. But you know what? I use the key and I'm like, they anyway. know where I am. Everything. Yeah. They know where we are. And your phone is tracking you even when it's on and off because you're opted in. There's like a 17-step process to go in and get the tracking stopped on your phone. See, that's yeah, that's yeah. a little too much. Yeah. All right. Well, are you ready for this? Because I saved Let's this for the well, end. This... No, no. Wait, wait. You're going to okay. love this. Gnome. Hey, guys. So Gnome doesn't, he, he participates in the app segment, but in a slightly different way. I'm he gonna, brings appetizers? No, Gnome. I'm, I'm going to give you my tech ripe of the week. So I, uh, I have a flip phone. I have a flip phone. He doesn't I, have apps. And uh, I've never I'll had a smartphone, you, ever. What drives me crazy is when someone sends me a, a link to something, and then I have to send a text with the link to my email and then I can look at it when I get home. That just drives me nuts. <laughs> Do people who know you not know that you're on a smartphone? Uh, I think just man. people don't think about it. So even people who know me, it's just like, that's what you do. You send it in a message. And then I, it just, yeah. No, I'm well, on a flip phone. You know, my, when my daughter was, uh, she had a flip phone. And up until she entered high school and, and, uh, and all of her friends that, you know, have had smartphones and iPhones and they're all on Instagram and Blah, blah, blah. And then there was a point where we were just like, if she was entering high school, we were like, all right, well, we'll get her a smartphone, right? And But it was like, no apps, no no Instagram, not, none of that stuff. We don't want you to do posting, anything like that. My wife always talks about how, like, people can see it. It's going to be embarrassing, blah, blah, blah. And then it turned to, po- to a point where the kids were only communicating on Snapchat. And so she was out of a lot of conversation. So there was a point where we were just like, well, you know, like, what's going on? She's like, well, you know, everyone that goes on Snapchat and... And uh, so we finally let her go on Snapchat, which is bad because everything disappears, you know. You can record it, though. 
it doesn't. You can, but we can't go into it and and yeah. like you know find it. It yeah. goes away. Mm-hmm. So, but that's how they 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 can they text each other through Snapchat. And they send these pictures they're, of they're them. They're doing like, it because it disappears. Like half their faces, and they're like, "What's up?" Don't you think you would be driven crazy though if you could see it? Because it's like forgetting anything that might get sent that like you really wouldn't want to see. But just oh, yeah, like forget it. No. It'd be knowing somebody's interior monologue, right? It'd be like, do you like? I, yeah, I, no, no. And what happens is, like, you know, you see these pictures of these 14-year-old girls, like, in these poses, and everyone writes, oh, you're so cute. Oh, you're beautiful. Oh, you're so cute. Oh, you're... So, and then you might get that one random kid who'd be like, oh, you know, then all the shit starts, you know, the bullying can start off of it. And it's kind of bad. So it's like, fortunately for her, knock on wood, she has a good group of friends. There's not a lot of that going on. and But you, it, you know it exists, right? I mean, people... Kids have committed suicide because of it. We've learned yeah. that. My cousin's got a, an 11-year-old daughter, and she had a smartphone for just a couple of weeks. Something happened. I don't know if the phone broke or she lost it or something like that. Um, and then said, Mom, Dad, I don't want a replacement. Wow. Um, Good was, for her. It was, it was too much pressure for her. Yeah, that's and there's that too, right? Yeah. Which so is kind like, of it's very self-aware yeah. for that's that's girl. amazing, yeah. Well, maybe I'm I'm so fascinated by Gnome and his flip phone life that we may actually do an episode with Gnome and the flip phone. I'm also for listeners out there, it only outlasts a minute in the hundred. And, <laughs> it's fascinating. It's only one feature. It's Sorry, no, yeah, it's he can You know, he can nuances. What's I mean, that? I'll say this: my phone has a flashlight. Does yours? Yeah, flashlight. Yeah, yeah, mine does. Bill, even Bill knows how to work that. I do. Yeah. So, because I'm old now, and I have to see things differently. So, <laughs> just using the, the lighting as a in your restaurant. Does. The lighting in your restaurant is bright. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't need my phone to read the menu. No, no, no. Okay. So we digress a little bit, but I'm I'm just fascinated by the flip phone life. So maybe we'll do a low tech show. And if you are a restaurant owner or work in a restaurant or know a restaurant that is not on social media that still uses the old reservation book and the pencil. You people know what I'm talking about. I am desperate to find a restaurant that is all analog, that is not on open table, that is not on resi, that is not doing any of those newfangled things, but is just really running it old school. Emilio Bellato. Really? I don't don't know know. who that is. You can't make a reservation. You know that Italian restaurant on Houston Street? Oh yeah, okay. It's, it's great. We were just there. You just—I don't think they have like a. I didn't see. You know what I'm talking like, about? Yeah. The red book with the rubber band. And yeah, the, no. And the I'm pencil. just Gotham. When I worked at Gotham, it was that the book, the big book. We look, I was, you know, scribbling. Yep. I like. Yep. I'm like thinking like, how did they ever do that? How did they work that way? I mean, I guess they had a system. The pencil. The pencil. So you could erase. Yeah, I guess so. There you go. So, <laughs> we digress. That was Which a happens. tech advance way back when, Which I guess, happens. right? The eraser yeah, or the exactly. pencil? Both. Both. <laughs> it was iteration. Well, how do we erase the pencil well, and then the eraser? This, right? <laughs> yeah, that was the upgrade. That was the 2.0. Premium, premium features. <laughs> so, Edenworks. Edenworks is about five blocks away from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick. They've been around since... 2013. It is aquaponics. And if you don't know what aquaponics is, that is basically aquaculture, which means raising things in water, animals like fish and shrimps, combined with hydroponics, which is growing plants in water. And it creates this nice closed system where you use the fish water to fertilize the plant water. And it's all nice and self-contained. And it is 
going to be the farming of the future. It's going to save the environment. It's going to save the food supply and all the airborne diseases and all those kinds of things. And I've been reading a bunch of different reports online that peg the growth of the aquaponics industry anywhere from like 7 to 11% over the next few years. By about 2023, I recently read a report that said the aquaponics industry will be worth about 1.3 billion dollars US. So that's kind of amazing. So if you are familiar with the space, one of the fish that they grow is typically tilapia because it's easy to grow, it's a very adaptable fish. They don't mind being crowded. They can adapt to different types of water temperatures. So it makes it really easy to grow in this situation. But I myself am not a huge fan of tilapia and most tilapia that's farmed has that really kind of gross metallic muddy taste from yeah, being farmed. Yeah, kind of like that mushy. Like mashy and yeah. mushy. So it's not the best and it's certainly not high end. And I doubt that, you know, gross farm raised tilapia would be something that a chef like Bill Telepan would serve at Oceana. We're serving gross raised farmer. <laughs> so Jason and the team at Edenworks have been developing new kinds of fish that are maybe more in line with what people want to eat and more in line with what people are eating from the wild. And they landed on striped bass, which is a local New York City, not New York City, but a local New York fish. People mm -hmm. know it. People are familiar with it. And it's, so it's an easy trade from getting it from the ocean to getting it from Brooklyn. So it's not quite on the market yet, but we had Jason send Bill some of the fish so we could find out how it tastes and how it cooks. But first, Jason, tell us, at, at what point did you realize that you need to sort of branch out from the typical tilapia into things that maybe were more diverse? We've always known that the kind of the advantage of growing indoors is the ability to produce stuff that would otherwise have to be imported. Um, you know, tilapia have, as you said, they've, they've historically been done in aquaponics and, and in lots of aquaculture, fish farming in general, uh, because, because of the lack of environmental control, you wanted to grow a fish that was hardy, something that was going to survive changes in weather, something that was going to be somewhat disease resistant, or, you know, unfortunately with a lot of tilapia, it's just being treated with a ton of antibiotics and hormones. Um, but once you move indoors and you've got kind of full control over that environment, you can create whatever climate you want. And so we're doing this beautiful striped bass. And maybe Bill will tell us if it was beautiful or not. But uh, but we do this really beautiful striped bass. Um, and so that and the next fish that we're going to do are salmon and uh, and shrimp as well. Um, and so the ability to create that climate gives us the ability to produce a cold water fish, a warm water fish, or you know, even a, a tropical fish, saltwater, freshwater. There's just a huge amount of flexibility that that gives us. Um, and that we think is some of the beauty of, of growing indoors is to create local fresh production of products that otherwise would have to come from halfway across the world because of the unique climate in which that, that product needs to grow. So it makes a lot of sense that you picked a fish that the New York market knows because it is from the New York market. Are there particular touch points about the waters off New York that you were trying to replicate or did you have to alter your current system to replicate, you know, what the Atlantic's like and So the fish that we're growing is it's a a hybrid varietal of striped bass. So think about it like um like a cockapoo 
uh, it's uh, it's a little bit of a mutt. So it's it's a striped bass that's been crossed with a white bass. Now striped bass, local New York population. Um, white bass is uh, a lake of freshwater dwelling fish, and so the striped bass that we grow, it uh, it looks very much like a striped bass, but smaller. It's more kind of the size of a white bass. Um, grows to market size at about a pound and a half, maybe up to two pounds. Um, but with uh, with the striped bass that you might see off of Long Island, I mean, those are very large fish. You could find you know, 20, 20 pound, pound fish. <clears throat> um, and so this kind of looks like a striped bass, but much smaller. Um, it's got the flavor profile more like a striped bass as opposed to white bass, but it's really good for growing in uh, in a farming operation like ours because of that white bass, more like lake dwelling, um, as opposed to uh, the striped bass, which is a migratory fish. And so it's trying to bring a product into market that the New York consumer is familiar with, but that is also compatible with uh, with farming technology. That way we're not forcing a, a square peg into a round hole. I have a very quick question that I want to ask, but I don't want to get sidetracked there's so many interesting things about this. Is the is the hybrid striped bass that you're growing? Did you engineer that yourselves? Does that exist? Did you get it from someplace? How does that work? Because it sounds ideal. Because obviously a lake is much more like a tank than the ocean, and you want something that's not going to want to migrate because there's not much place to go in a tank. Yeah. So in the same way that that when you're buying uh, tomatoes. That, that farmer that grew that tomatoes, that, that grew those tomatoes, bought a particular seed. Right. Somebody developed those seeds. Yes. And those seeds have been developed over generations of growing where growers selected for certain traits. Mm-hmm. The same thing happens with, with growing animals. You're growing, you're, there are growers who are buying particular genetics, uh, particular characteristics. And not, we're not referring to genetically modified, but we're it's right. selective, selective, selective breeding. breeding. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah a, it's, it's a very fine point. It's a sticky subject. Yeah. But it's what, you know, it's what farmers have been doing for the past so 10,000 years. And right. so what we're doing is we're buying from a hatchery that- So you're buying baby fish. We're buying baby fish from a hatchery that specifically does hybrid striped bass. So what they do is they have a population of striped bass, they have a population of white bass, and then they are they are selectively breeding those together to create- uh, to create the hybrid that the 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 mutt quote unquote uh, so that we're fascinating. Going. We did a show oh probably two years ago with a company called E Fowl, and it was an, the first sort of online marketplace for everything in the poultry industry. And that is when I discovered that when you buy chicks to raise chickens and make eggs, they get shipped to you live in the mail, like <laughs> a box of live chicks in the mail and that's how it's been going on since the time of the sears and roebuck catalog but just crazy so do you get the live fish in the mail so we get a uh it's a cooler with a box it's so it's a it's a box with a cooler inside of it with a bag filled with live fish um, I'm picturing the plastic bag with the knot tied on it that you would get at like this pet, at like the pet a giant, store. Like a giant you know, version of that. With like the goldfish swimming in it? Yes. Or that you get at the a, carnival when you win it? Yeah, Is it so like it's, that? It's a giant version of that, basically. With lots in it. Just with lots in it. Yeah. Yeah. Overnight express. Um, so we act, what we do is uh, it gets put, I think, I think Southwest actually ships. So the, the farmer that we work with goes to 
the airport, brings them a box of fish. It gets put on as um, as like like cargo, but basically like luggage. And then we drive to the airport and we receive it on the other end. Uh, wow. So like within one morning, so we get a call from the grower from the from the hatchery saying like I just put the I just put the fish on the plane, uh, and then we get it on the other end. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Yeah, fish in the fish fish in the mail, but what people are on the plane. Flying. So. Yeah, <laughs> but they don't know because they they think they're you know like in a capsule hotel. That's right. They're, they're they don't even set. know they're, they're like, on the plane. They're right, it's the anyway. pod hotels. It's the pod hotel. Love. Okay. <laughs> So we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to find out what Bill Telepan thinks about the Eden Works aquaponic striped bass. Stay with us. All right. This episode is brought to you by Heritage Foods. Heritage Foods was founded to sell ancient breeds of livestock and poultry that were becoming extinct, largely because industrial agriculture willfully pushed healthy heritage breeds aside for more profitable, faster-growing animals. Rare heritage breeds are saved when popular demand increases and farmers have the incentive to raise them. This Thanksgiving, we encourage you to buy a turkey from Frank Reese's Good Shepherd Poultry Ranch. Frank's turkeys are 100% purebred heritage, 100% pasture-raised, and 100% antibiotic-free. Turkeys are available in two-pound increments. You choose your size. Don't wait. Pre-order your Heritage Thanksgiving turkey today at heritagefoods.com. That you can never just live. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. Do you have an amazing food tech startup that you want to talk about? Do you have a favorite app? Do you have a great idea for a show? Get in touch with us. We are very interactive. You can find us on social media at TechBytesHRN. You can email us, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. And that's a .org because Heritage Radio Network is nonprofit, independent, public food radio. Today we are talking with Josh Green, co-founder and CEO, Jason Green, co-founder and CEO of EdenWorks, which is a Brooklyn-based aquaponics company, and they have just started producing striped bass as a new line of fish that they're going to be selling in 2019. If you want to find out more about them, find them online at Edenworks, E-D-E-N-W-O-R-K-S.com, or you can find them on social media at Edenworks Grows. We had Jason send some striped bass to Chef Bill Telepan. He is the chef at Oceana Restaurant in New York City. They are Midtown, adjacent to Rockefeller Center. You can find them online at OceanaRestaurant.com. That's O-C-E-A-N-A. You can find them on social media at Oceana NYC. And if you want to follow Bill, he is at Bill Telepan. It's easy. Yep. <laughs> easy, easy. So, Bill, you got some fish last week. I did get some fish last week. So tell us how it came and what you thought and all that good stuff. Um, well, my question to Jason real quick is, um, is this similar to like the one that I might have gotten like 30 years ago, the striped bass? Because it seemed very similar to that sort of version. I mean, were they always crossing the, the wild striped bass with uh, white bass? 
in the past or when you were buying it it was so a, like it was a farmed product yeah or? it was a farm product like 30 years ago when i was at gotham barn grill alfred portali the chef there used uh, the farm raised striped bass and we would get it in all the time and it seemed very similar to that and it was a in and, and and the product that i got from jason was was delicious it so was, what is d- describe that product from 30 years ago and the product you got today up against what the product is that you think is different i mean from what i can remember it seems it doesn't seem different it seems it seemed very familiar to me when so i it's saw smaller. The, when I, you know it's the same we always was getting the same i think the largest we could get at the time was three pound fish but that was rare so it was basically you get a fillet and it was you fillet the fish you get two portions out of the fish it was very easy um, to work with and um, and it was you know very it was and it cooked very quickly and easily um, as did this one and so when I was when I had it and I started uh, cooking it it was it seemed very familiar did it take you back it took were me you back, back yeah. in the kitchen back downtown, downtown. <laughs> 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 no and so so on that part it was like you know the quality of the product was definitely there for sure um, and it was very tasty. I mean, you know, you, you, you cook it, it's a, it's a mild fish, one that can sort of probably go a lot of ways, you know, it, it can take a lot of flavors. We just, I have this very simple lemon zest oil that I do on, on, on what we call our market fish, um, and that we just brush over, and we brushed that over it. So when it was, you know, it was delicious. Um, we cooked it properly, so it wasn't overcooked. Define properly, please. <laughs> well, it wasn't overcooked and dried out. So which a fish like that can do, go because it's so thin, um, and so we were, um, you know, we were able to cook it, I think, properly. And it, it ended How long up, did it take to cook it properly? People are going to be surprised. Yeah, by it, by I mean, listen, we, we put it in a hot pan um, and we put it on, you know, some olive oil in the pan. And then we, um, you know, as a fish would pop up in the middle, we pr- and then, you know, because it's, it's, it's shocked when it hits the heat, as all fish with skin on do. Um, and then we pressed it down and then popped it in the oven and uh, probably... Two, it probably was done in less than five minutes for sure. So people listening at home, you had a filet. How big was the filet? Well, I think you end up probably with about a six to eight ounce filet. Six to eight ounce filet, less than five minutes to cook. Yeah. And, um, and so it was flaky. It had all the characteristics you wanted. It was flaky. Um, it, was, it was tasty. It wasn't fishy. It was, it was a really mild sort of uh, fish flavor. Um, all those things that you want in a, in a, in a sort of a, that kind of fish. You know, if you're thinking striped bass or something like that, you're not going to get the salmon uh, characteristics or a mackerel characteristics. And, and so, therefore, it cooked really quickly. The, the one thing I want to say is that when I did open up the package, it was came in a package and maybe this had, there was a little of that packaged plasticky taste to it initially when you popped it in your mouth, but it went away right away. But I think if you're getting the product fresh, that's not going to be there. Did you get the fish whole or filleted? Filleted. So there was no, so because you were getting the filet, then you couldn't see how the bloodline was or what it looked like. If it I was mean, it, it looked pretty clean and, and mm-hmm. uh, to me. So it was, it, it was, it was definitely a, a great product. And I think one, and the one thing that I actually liked about, cause you know, we're sort of having at some point really having to think about farm fishing seriously. And, and I think we are at this point now as, as Jason's doing and, um, and because there aren't a lot of fish, you know, people are still eating, consuming tons of fish. And uh, I heard about recently a farm-raised tuna um, that I tried at this event. It was, it, it was really incredible. Farm-raised from? From, I think it, I want to say, I want to say Japan, but I'm not 100%. Um, and um, it was a Japanese event, though. <laughs> so, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> and so I think and what was 
nice and surprising. And I guess, you know, I should have been like, duh, of course you could, why don't, why aren't people doing striped bass this way in aquaponics? And, you know, there's this school in, in uh, Midtown Manhattan called the Food and Finance High School. And they have a whole big aquaponics thing happening. I don't know if on you've, the see, you've seen it. No, indoors. It's right, but indoor. it's on the roof of the school. It might be up yeah. there, but it's, mm-hmm. and so, um, I visited many years ago and you see how it's with it, Cornell it, university. Yeah, I've and, been, I've been stalking them to have the professor who runs it come on the show with some of the students. Oh yeah. yeah. We should be able to They're get fantastic. them. Fantastic. Yeah, easy, it's so. great. Um, but, um, and so, but it, I, I'm thinking like, why don't they, cause you know, you, you don't, cause you know, and I work in school foods with wellness in the schools and I think it would be awesome to be able to raise like a fish like striped bass, which is tastier. And, 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 and this was definitely something that was worthy of a restaurant menu for sure. So tell us what the difference is between this striped bass, the crossbreed, and the striped bass you would get fresh from New York. Well, like you say, I mean, you, you get, I've gotten a striped bass upward to 50 pounds. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so you're getting a block of fish, which is, uh, you know, the, the thing is, it, it, they're very similar in sort of the flakiness. The thing I love about like wild striped bass is, it's that it to me it's kind of like the perfect fish it has like that little edge is a good amount of there's a decent amount of fat and it's not too fatty it goes with everything and you could just eat it simply right and um and it has all and it just tastes great and so um the thing about it is that basically you get these giant you get a bigger piece of fish you know and you're when you can have that to me when you can like I like a a large striped bass, just a fillet, and I cook it in a way where I just pop it in the oven for like eight to ten minutes, and it comes out, and and you just pull the meat off, and you so you're getting these large chunks of meat, and you know I, I love that. It's just like eating a big pork shoulder as opposed to a. Do you serve that at the restaurant with a bib and some wipes? No, no. we we have done a we have <laughs> done a, a, a black sea bass, you know, salt crust, which is another beautiful way. And this fish can be done that way, which oh, is yeah, great. Oh, yeah, I've done that at home. Totally. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, and that's a good way to, you know, that's a good way to just sit there and pull the, the meat off. So I will have to try that when you, when you, when you, um, when you start getting them out um, and, uh, and whole. And, uh, but, yes, I think it's definitely worthy. So talk about, talk about the taste of the fish coming from a farm versus coming from the ocean. One of the questions that... We've talked about on this show before in episodes past is the idea of, you know, terroir and the flavor of things and the texture and the character of things being specific to where they're grown. And if you grow something inside a farm and it's aquaponic or hydroponic or aquaculture and you have technically no terroir, does that mean it's a neutral taste? Is the taste neutral versus having, is there a taste profile that's missing a salinity or an ocean flavor or something? Well, you don't really capture the sea in a fish, you know, but you do, you do get, there's a certain sort of texture for sure. I think, you know, you could take the salmon, a wild king salmon as opposed to a, a farm raised salmon where the, 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 the texture of the flesh raw is, I don't want to say tough, but firmer. For is that sure. because of water temperature? Is that because they do move around a little I, bit more? I want to say probably because they do move around more, but I, I can't answer that like 
you know, definitively. So, but it seems to me that it would, that would be the obvious. Water temperature uh, movement. Probably. Yes, for sure. And so on the striped bass, you know, you're getting a little of that for sure. We are, where on this one, the, the fish, the flesh is a little softer. Um, and that's what the problem with tilapia is. It's too soft, right? Tilapia is kind of just mushy and gross. Right. Though. So, but this, you know, this, so as opposed to from a, a, a wild striped bass, you're going to get, the flesh is going to be a little firmer for sure. Um, and, and so, but you know, the thing is you're getting a little filet. So it's like, you know, the difference between an anchovy and a side of salmon, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> and you're not really going to work much, you know, with it. So, but, but for sure you can, you can, you know, you can sort of work more with a larger piece of fish, um, and do different things to it as opposed to when you get your farm raised fish, you're, it's like, here it is. And that's pretty much it. But on the other hand, it's one of these things that it's a product that can be readily available, probably at a good price and feed people fish as opposed to, you know, farm-raised um, animals, which are really bad. I mean, if unless you're at, you know, if I'm hearing there are any antibiotics to, to tilapia, I'm like, you're kidding me, really? Well, of course, but <laughs> so. to, to Jason, um, and you don't necessarily need to talk price specifically, but is it is it price competitive? Will it be price competitive when it comes onto the market? And are you conscientious of, you know, can you manipulate the fra- flavor profile of a farm-raised fish? Yeah, so... Or the uh, texture of the meat to what he's saying, the water temperature maybe, I don't know, the size of the tank, they get their exercise. Yeah, so uh, on the first point, um, our our model is always to be price competitive. Um, you know, we, we, wear, we wear our foodie hats when it comes to evaluating the product and we kind of put on our our industrialist hat when it comes to actually like if we want to if we want the world to eat the food that we produce because it's more delicious and because it's more sustainable because there's we're using we're using 10% less fertilizer than other farms and we're there's no discharge from aquaculture all of the things that you think about whether you're growing produce on the land or you're growing fish out in a river out in the ocean those are the sorts of of environmental benefits that that we provide, but the only way to actually realize those benefits is to do it at scale, and the only way to do it at scale is to be price competitive. Um, and so the answer is yes. When it comes to the the terroir and the flavor, um, there are a couple of things that I would I would flag just on the on the um, the characteristics of the flesh. Much of that comes from the age. So right. when you're eating that uh, that striped bass, that very large striped bass, that 50 pound fish, it's a much more mature fish and like if same if if you've ever had what does that mean mature just in terms of days or years oh so that that fish could be upwards of five years old um whereas makes sense yeah yeah whereas get that big to get that big whereas um our fish um and that fish that you're cooking at gotham um 30 years ago that fish was grown in salt water in all likelihood. Right. And so that was a pure striped bass, but was being harvested similar to ours after about a year. Um, and so while we're while we're using that hybrid so that we can grow it in freshwater and in a tank, it does, to your point, it does eat like a striped bass right. um, as opposed to like a white bass. Uh, but but the, the texture does come a lot from simply the age. On the flavor profile overall, a lot of that comes from as you say, the, the terroir. Now, terroir is a thing that we can measure. It has been for so long this mystical thing, but 
the tools of modern agriculture have given us the ability to measure what actually is in that terroir. So terroir is a combination of the minerals that you'll find in the environment. Um, when I say minerals, I'm talking about things like iron, calcium, potassium, sodium. The salty taste in the salt water. The salty taste in the salt water. But a lot of that also is the microbiology. So <clears throat> out, in, out in the ocean, that would be the mix of algae. Now, we can measure that and we can grow that algae. A lot of that is the bacteria. A gram of healthy soil has somewhere between 100 million and a billion bacterial cells. The whole human heart has 2 billion cells. So that puts you know, two grams of soil potentially on par with like, it's, you know, kind of cell density, quote unquote, is similar in soil as it is to the human body. So when we think about how we at Edenworks grow, it is really farming for all of that microbiology that ultimately is driving so much of the health and flavor of the things that we're growing, as opposed to just thinking about growing the fish or growing the produce. It's really about trying to grow grow the whole ecosystem and driving health and uh, and flavor through that whole ecosystem approach, just like you find out in California for greens or out off the east end of Long Island for the fish. Well, if you can measure it, you can manage it, and you can recreate it. And perhaps it is a little bit of the decoding of terroir. You know, I think so much about French food specifically, where legally things are categorized and called, you know, champagne or, you know, Dijon mustard, not just because of the product that it is, but specifically the place that it's grown and made. And I mean, I do think there is something a little bit romantic about terroir, but apparently not. Apparently, you can just, you know, run it through a lab test and recreate it, and voila. Does that not that make a lot of people mad? <laughs> <laughs> Why do you say that? No, I think just, you know, when you think about the French who are designating these, these uh, products, and they'll be like, oh, well, well now you're going to grow breast chicken in Jersey? <laughs> but we have to say just like. Yeah, just you like know, uh, a, a recreated, yeah. you know, just like. Um, what was the question? The question was, as a chef, do these elements make a difference to you? Or at the end of the day, is it the quality of the product and the price point and what you can deliver? Or does it make a difference to you to know that they're trying to replicate the, you know, waters off Long Island to sort of create their striped bass experience? Do you think people, do you think, do you care? Will your customers care? Again, I think it's it's a matter of like, you know, comparing, like, you know, I'm very small consumer compared to the world right and i think when we look at what what's going on with you know sort of tech and food is you know we're thinking about feeding you know many more people in the next 20 to 30 years and how we're going to do that i mean they're talking there's a lot of talk about you know how are we going to feed new york city in 2050 and you know because there's going to be many more people like people taking advantage of rooftops and and, and you know um industrial sites that are abandoned and putting things you know building uh hydroponic gardens in there and and aquaculture um and i think these the things are going to be important for a chef who wants something specific and and something that's different that's not you know we work with things that are not 
sort of or that are a little out of reach to to most people. Well, that's why you go to a restaurant, and that's why you go to a restaurant. The and, fish cooked perfectly right. in under five minutes, right. but also to have product that you wouldn't have access to, exactly, or wouldn't know what to do with, right? And and so you know you're you know um, you could go and buy a whole wild striped bass, but you know you, what are you going to do with it? Exactly. So you know, but I want a piece of white striped bass. I'm going to go to Oceana because I know they have a, a good one on the menu, and and so I think those are still be there and I'll still and myself and other chefs will still seek those tiroir-esque things um, but but we also may find like hey you know this product's great um, this bat, striped bass is coming out of you know Brooklyn and it's delicious and you know and I love to hear that he's doing shrimp because I think that's something that could be exciting um, and I've tried some uh, that's been grown up in Beacon New York and put that on my menu recently, um, and, but it was very pricey, you know, was, um, and it was a very small production. So those are things that um, I think we're going to be that way as, as chefs. So, But it's great that this is all happening. Well, you are perhaps consuming on a very small level relative to the world, but you are a chef. You are a famous chef. You are a well-known chef in New York City, and you, you know, bring opinion and, and information to the public in, in a way that the average home cook doesn't so no and, and we your and, your potential sh- to impact things yeah is chefs greater. do do that i mean i think chefs are people who have you know sort of you know hey you know like you know buying locally you know was probably done but on a very small scale and i think chefs are responsible for you know pushing that more in the last 20 25 years i think you know we're seeing chefs are now talking about nutrition and and you know taking care of themselves and school food for what i've seen the in the last chef. 10 years the skinny chef the, the the thing i've seen in the yeah right exactly right <laughs> nobody parties anymore everyone runs the sober like, chef. We're, we're, we're laughing because <laughs> just for people who can't see on radio but go look at the uh show photo which we'll take after this bill's a skinny chef <laughs> but we you know you know nobody parties anymore plus i'm old <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm creaky but you know, the thing is, I think we can, inf- we do influence. And when there is a product that's out there that we all like, we all champion it. We, we do that. And w- or if there's a movement that's out there that's good, good. And chefs are now in a place like you, uh, Evan Hensicor, who was just from Egg Restaurant, was just on the show before. You know, people like him are, we're advocates for good. We're, we're you know, we're, the environment's messed up. You know, climate change is real. And we can have an effect on that through the food we buy, in whether it's from the ocean or whether it's from the, the land. And I think a lot of that has been affected. Factory farming has had a, a direct impact on this, uh, on this climate change, and, and many studies have shown it. And, but, you know, we have to do something about it. So that's why we're behind this stuff. Well, it's almost like find, replace. So yeah. it's also easier to get people to move away from something when you can offer them a better solution right. or a better product or, you know, a substitute. And then you can shift people from one thing to the next. We are out of time and we're going to have to shift people from this show to the next one. But before we do, I'm going to ask Jason really quickly, do you have any last thoughts or questions that you'd like to ask Bill while you're in focus group of one? I think, um, oh, I should have thought of better questions. Um, I think to Bill's, to Bill's point, actually, that, and to your point about, offering better options. Um, Bill's excitement for shrimp is for me really exciting. And that's 17% of all seafood consumed globally is shrimp. Um, Seafood or aquaculture, just fish farming, not even all seafood, but 
just aquaculture, is the biggest protein market in the world now. It's growing f twice as fast as, as the beef market. And that's like, all that is a really big deal. And so having Bill's buy-in to finding great farmed products um, that that can kind of offer that the signaling um, is really important. I think for for the consumer getting that sort of buy-in so that they have comfort when they go to the grocery store, that that gives me great comfort. Bill, any last thoughts before we close? I mean, um, you kind of did a nice wrap up there in your in your last pass. Yeah, I just think you know going forward, you know people are looking to eat less meat, and I think fish is. You know, people want to consume more fish, but, you know, there's not a lot of fish out there. And so this is a great thing to see, and, and hopefully it'll inspire more of it being done well. Like, you know, that's, you know, there's, you can farm fish. Huge and asterisks. Yeah. Being huge, done well, sustainably, deliciously. Yes. Yeah. And so I think. Economically. It's amazing that we are really thinking that way, but it's something we should have been thinking about 30 years ago. But I'm glad it's happening now. At In your lifetime. Happened. In my lifetime. Yes. Yes. So if you want to see Bill Telepan cooking fish, or you want to hear Jason talking about aquaponics and the future of indoor farming, they are both going to be at Food Loves Tech this weekend. It is a food and tech event happening in Brooklyn. The website is foodlovestech.com. Um, it's two days of panels and food and events and tastings and things like that. It's pretty interesting. Um, and it's always nice to go out into the world and experience these things in real life because that's kind of the point. Technology takes you to the best real life experience. Maybe I'll learn a new app. Well, I, you, you just got a whole, you just got <laughs> a whole you got bunch of them. Yeah. What you have to do is you have to talk Jason into being your Airtable app. All right. <laughs> <laughs> or you can join Team Flip because we're always Team looking for Flip, new baby. Yeah. yeah, there you go. You should just go retro. That would exactly. be great. You could do that. You could start a movement. I could start a movement. Yeah. You've already started a bunch of movements. Why not this one? Well, I don't know. I'm getting tired. <laughs> If you like Actually, fish, I do have a lot of energy, so don't worry. I'm not, I'm not that old and creepy. It's early. So. Yeah. Yes, it's it is early. early. Okay. Another cup of coffee will be good. All right. All right. Cheers. If you like this show, come back and see us. Tech Bytes is broadcast live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time from our studios inside Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Our theme song is Nomad, a CPU track by DJ Uptown Nico. We are engineered by Gnome Osben, the man with the flip phone. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. We are powered by Simplecast. I am Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bytes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.